Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Whitestone Fellowship. Nice to see everybody. Our reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the rapture all during the, uh, all during the, the service this morning. Uh, with, with everybody alert to the signs of the times, the things that we hear in the media and in the news and in magazines and everything else, uh, even the secular world knows that something is up. Uh, they've heard something, they heard it maybe when they were small, uh, and they know it's from the Bible, but because they, they're not religious anymore, or they're not going to church, they're not hearing anything about it. So the questions are all over the place about what's going on because of all the things that we see uh, in, our, in our world uh, today. So <clears throat> there's a number of people that have... Uh, tried to address the issues of the day, and they're coming at it from all different directions. They're coming at it from a secular point of view, unfortunately, and they're trying to rationalize all the things that are going on, which, of course, just creates a lot of confusion. So we're going to look at it from God's Word and find out just exactly what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing, uh, what we should expect and who should we turn to uh, to just answer the whole thing? We're going to look at the rapture this this uh, this this morning, and next week we're hopefully going to be able to look at the second coming. Uh, there are two separate events. Uh, Jesus alluded to it. The apostles even seemed to understand that they would, there would be two separate events, even as they asked Jesus what the signs would be for his coming and for the end of the world. So, uh, it's, uh, hopefully it's an interesting, it'll be an interesting study and it'll, it'll reassure us about the things that are going on, uh, all around us, in our government, in our culture, in the media, uh, in our financial uh, areas of our national finances, our personal finances, international finances, in fact. So uh, we'll be all over the place in the scriptures this morning, but we'll be dealing with uh, just the, the ones that deal with the rapture this morning. The Lord lets us know of things that are coming. He doesn't always let us know the intricate details of how it's all going to work out. But he does tell us what's coming. And so that's what we're looking at. Father, we come before you this morning with joy and anticipation to calm our hearts from the things that we hear in the media and see around us in our culture. Lord, whether it's whether it's people that want to do away with Homeland Security, whether it's anybody that we see in the headlines or in the news, Lord, we pray for calm hearts for ourselves and more faith, greater faith to trust you for all things. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your, your grace and your mercy, your forgiving nature, and your desire to reveal yourself to us in the Word. We ask you to be with us this morning. Bless all of those that are on our prayer list. Uh, meet them with whatever need they may have. Send your Holy Spirit to those that may not know you. And Lord, bless us as we go through our service today. Uh, bless our worship to your ears. Bless our, our teaching to our hearts. And Lord, bless our fellowship time afterwards. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I did not put a scripture in the bulletin this morning because we're going to be going all over the place. But we're going to start with 2 Kings chapter 2. And we'll read together those three verses, verses 9 through 11. 
please, please read with me. This is the story of Elisha and Elijah. And that whirlwind took Elijah, Elijah away. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah had said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of and departed them, parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. This, this idea of the rapture of the church or the rapture of an individual is not new. Obviously, this dates back to almost 900 years before Christ. But it says here that it was, it was more than just that he went up. It was that the two men were parted both asunder. That's a violent separation. It was sudden. They could see this chariot of fire coming, whatever it was. They could see the things that were going on, but suddenly they were parted from one another, separated from one another. And when it says that uh, it was asunder, it, it, it indicates that it was a, a sudden, violent separation. So, so, so that, well, it says that in verse 12 that Elijah saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw clothes and rent them in two pieces, assuming that he'd been taken and killed. Because that, that tearing of the clothes, the, the rending of the garment, is a sign of mourning and a sign of acknowledging a loved one is gone and you're not going to see him again. Now fortunately for us and Elisha, we will see Elijah again. We will see him again because that's the promise for every believer. When we look at, uh, uh, in, I'm going to take you to John 15 to start with. In John 15, verse 10, Jesus teaches his disciples and his apostles. He said, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever, whatsoever I command you, calling for obedience to God. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Jesus is, is reminding his disciples and his apostles, anybody within earshot for that matter, that the things that he's been speaking to them and teaching them are things that have come to him from the Father. Much like the words in our Bible, they're all written down by human hands, but the words originate, they're sourced in the divine being, in Jesus Christ, in the Father. They're sourced through the Holy Spirit. There's no denying Jesus was telling his disciples many times the things that were about to happen to him. 
but they still did not grasp it. Uh, they, they were a people used to living for the day. And like many people in the ancient world, they were hungry, they hunted. If they were family, they, the father, the, the male of the family would make sure that the hunt was done and the food was, the food was treated. The meat was treated and the food was ready to be prepared. Uh, that was just the normal thing of every day. And it, it's a daily thing for many people today that live in world countries. The first thing they get up in the morning and they have to look for food. They have to find it. They have to prepare it. All of those things. So they, they live for the day and they live for the moment. That's what the fishing industry is about. Nobody wants to eat two-day-old fish. It tastes fishy. It smells fishy. And it doesn't always digest well. So things needed to be fresh because they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have ice. It was only a couple times a year in, in Israel that it would snow even, unless you lived up in the mountains of Mount Hermon and the foothills. But it came to a point in Matthew 24 that the disciples asked Jesus knowing that they're in Jerusalem knowing that they're there for the Passover knowing that things seem to be coming to a head for some reason they approach Jesus And they start to show him the wonderful things of the temple in Jerusalem. The beautiful stonework. And he says, he says in verse 2 of chapter 24, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, to the apostles and the disciples, this would seem to be an impossibility. Stones that made up the city wall were enormous. They were immovable. How they were built, well, that was up to the engineers that built them. But Jesus, all of these beautiful stones, the buildings, the walls, everything that you see, there will not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown, that shall not be thrown down. They're interested now because they can only assume that when that happens, it's going to be the end of the world. And he's on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming, number one, and the end of the world? They didn't know just exactly how these things were going to fit, but they wanted to know when he was coming and when the end of the world was going to be. They seem to say previous teachings that his coming is one event and the end of the world and whether they're thinking of, I don't think they're thinking about the rapture. But they are thinking about his second coming. And they're thinking about a time between that and the end of the world. What they miss though, what many people even today uh, mistake, is that the rapture and the second coming are two separate events. Two separate events with two separate purposes. So the first thing he says to them is, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall call my name, shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're, you be not troubled. 
for all these things must come to pass. Now, this is exactly what we're seeing in our world today. Now, there's always been wars. There's always been news that travels from one person to another, one nation to another. People have heard of wars and rumors of wars forever. That's the nature of humanity. We're always at war with something. Someone is always trying to conquer someone else. But now we're hearing of wars all over the place. Wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. It has to happen. And then he says, but the end is not yet. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. There's going to be wars that people experience, people live through. Lives will be lost. Grounds and countries will be conquered. But he says, for nation shall rise against nation. And when he uses the word nation, he's talking about tribes and ethnicities of people. We talk about, in this country, we talk about the, the tribal community, the Seneca nation, the Cayugas. We talk about the Chippewa. These are the nations of the American natives. So there, there are people, ethnicities. And then he says kingdom against kingdom. Well, kingdoms, that's what we now know as countries and nations. So nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and diseases and earthquakes in diverse places. If, unless, unless, you're, unless you're living completely off the grid, you know about all of the wars, the rumors of wars. We know about the ethnic wars, the ethnic cleansing of, of Czechoslovakia. The ethnic cleansing of the Ukrainians, the ethnic cleansing of the Jews, the ethnic cleansing of all kinds of different people. And it's now spread. The dictators, those nations that became tyrants, they're now in South America and Central America. People are fleeing for their lives because they fear. In Africa, they're doing the same thing. And there you've truly got tribal communities that really have no military defenses. They still can only fight with spears or swords. And maybe with an animal skin shield. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's not very it's not very effective, considering the weapons that are formed today. Pestilences, well there's we know there's so many diseases, and there doesn't seem to be any cure for many of them. Earthquakes in diverse places. It's incredible where we do see all the earthquakes taking place. And the fault lines in many countries have been identified because they've had earthquakes galore. They've had them frequently enough to identify the fault lines. And certainly from our satellite imagery, we now see the fault lines in the earth. Topographically, we can see them. But the wars and rumors of war, the end is not yet. Because there are nations that have to rise against nations. There are kingdoms that must arise against kingdoms. There are going to be famines and pestilences and earthquakes all over the world. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Is that what we're experiencing now? It's, it's amazing what we see in our headlines. And it's amazing also, all we have to do is follow some of the 
some of the agencies that bring relief to people that are living in these flood areas and earthquake areas and forest fire areas, the Red Cross, uh, a number of different Christian ministries, uh, Samaritan's Purse, they go all over the world to bring relief to people that live in remote areas or, or on tropical islands that are just awash with floods or storms. But he says these are just the beginning of sorrows. They're literally the signs that we are to look for. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. The tide is turning. Even here in our country, we're seeing a decline in the reputation of the Christian church. Satan is behind much of it. But every denomination seems to have its own problems. And there seems to be hypocrisy that just abounds. We, we've all read about the biggest denomination, the Catholic Church, and the problems they've had with priests doing unspeakable things to children. And people that are not, are not of faith, they look at that and they say, see what hypocrites they are. Well, the fact of the matter is we're all hypocrites. But for us that acknowledge that, we, are, we also know that we are sinners saved by grace and change can take place for Jesus Christ. When change doesn't take place, then there's a problem because the Lord Jesus Christ is not there. And the people that are involved with those things are not looking to Christ. They're not following His example. They're not giving. They have been sucked in by the entitlement mentality that has always lusted in the core of every heart of man. When we get up in the morning, who do we think of? Well, what do I look like? Am I presentable for the public today? We see the things that need to be improved in the mirror as soon as we look. And sometimes it's a formidable task. But it's always with people that get up in the morning and they're still well-groomed from the night before, it means they either got in late or they just normally look good. But even they still see their own faults. I don't care if you're the beauty queen or, you know, the most eligible bachelor in, in the United States. They get up in the morning and as good-looking as they may be, they see their own faults and they start to correct them. Just like everybody else. Just like everybody else. So there's nothing new in the heart of man. The first thing we think about is me, is ourselves. And then as we move on in our day, those that are family people, it's okay, now let's start thinking about what the family needs. Let's start thinking about what everybody wants to live free. We want to be able to worship freely. All of those things that truly. But if you're a believer in Christ, people will look at you skeptically. And if you dare to preach the word, people will reject you because they reject the word. And we think that's a personal attack on us, but it's not. We're just the voice piece that the Lord uses to spread the gospel. What they're rejecting is Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that's why they persecute believers. That's why they persecute believers. So they, they will deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. If, if you don't believe it, uh, there's a wonderful book. Uh, it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, sometimes it's the churches themselves 
that have killed true believers for their faith. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. This goes beyond the believer stage. This goes into secular society. The, the, Jesus is describing a whole breakdown of the social mores and culture of the family and what it means to be a culture and to interact with your neighbors or to interact with your customers or your employers. It's a complete breakdown in society. They shall hate one another. Everybody will be suspicious of one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. If we're not seeing this in our culture today, then we're not paying attention. Because that's what we're watching. Racial problems. The Bible says we're all one blood. All one blood. But we're suspicious of other people because we don't know where they're coming from. And we don't trust unless we know the ones that we're interacting with. So because iniquity shall abound, what's iniquity? Well, it's sin. But it's really that that sin that rests in the heart of every man, woman, and child. It's the me first. It's the consciousness and awareness of me. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they realized they had sinned? They became self-conscious. And they began to cover up. And they fit themselves with fig leaves. And by God's mercy, he came along and the first blood sacrifice is recorded then. It's in Genesis 3.21 when he made coats of skins for them to cover them, to cover up the embarrassment, to cover up the knowledge that sin brought with it. That was an atonement for their sin. And it's all because they were other aware or other oriented when they first discovered one another. And then they became self-aware and embarrassed because they knew they were sinners. They knew that they had disobeyed. So all of these things are going to happen. Difficult times. Tribulations. But these are not the great tribulation. Because the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Well, in the 20th century, technology and the media spread all around the world. Ministries grew. The printed word became known. And now, in modern times, we have the Internet. There is not a single country in the world, a single island in the world, that's inhabited that has not gotten access to the gospel, to the story of Jesus. It's there. It's there. People have heard it. Everyone has heard it. In, in Matthew 24, we have this, this wonderful word that tells us the end is not yet. When we look at the different when we look at uh, some of the words that are used to describe the rapture, 
the first first word that comes to mind is the one from First Thessalonians chapter four. It's harpazo. To be snatched away, to caught up together with the Lord in the clouds. But even in the Old Testament, just like we saw with Elijah, he went up. And this this verb in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, to go up, to, to be taken up, is the word, oddly enough, Allah. To go up. And we first see it in Genesis 2, and there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Something that rises up off the surface and becomes airborne. And this mist went up and watered the whole face of the earth. In Genesis 13, Abraham went up. He went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, to go up, to disappear, to, to move. To separate. In Genesis 17, God was talking with Abraham, and he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham, left him, went up into the heavens. Genesis 19, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all of the land of the plain, and behold, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. All of these different situations describe a going up, but it's all the same word, Allah, in the Hebrew. But it's not all the same as, as that Muslim God. This is just A-L-A-H. To go up, to separate. Lot went up out of the war. Isaac went up from thence and then to Beersheba. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. All of these are Allah. But when we see Elijah, he was separated from Elisha asunder in a violent way. And so now let's uh, let's turn to let's turn to uh 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We find here that there are quite literally step by step step-by-step acknowledgments of what's going to go on. And this is so that we know. Jesus told the apostles in several different places. Paul did the same thing. Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Part of the purpose of the whole gospel is to swear, to warn us. If it's a prophetic passage, it's to is to educate us as to the things that are going to come in the future. And so this is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing and he says, in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? Bring with him from where? Well, Paul is alluding to the second coming. In Zechariah, we learn that God will come with all the saints. God will come with all the saints. That's his second coming. In Zechariah 14.5, you'll find that. It's not a new idea, the second coming. But this isn't the second coming. God will bring all the saints with him at that time. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So the coming of the Lord is going to come, and there's going to be a resurrection, a general resurrection. But he also says then, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we, if, if we think that everybody's just going to rise together in the rapture, uh, we're mistaken. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. To rise up off of the earth, to be caught up together, that's the word harpazo in the Greek. And a lot of people say, well, the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. And it's true, it does not. But when we look at the Latin Vulgate, we find this word in the Greek, harpazo, is written in Latin, rapturos. And English, being one of the Romance languages derived from the Latin, that's where we get our word rapture. So it is here. And to be caught up together is to literally be snatched away suddenly, just as sudden as Elijah was. In fact, later on we find out it's quickly, in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be that fast. I think a twinkling of an eye is even quicker than a blink. So we find that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then those that are left on the earth, those which remain, are caught up together. But he's speaking to believers here. He's not speaking to non-believers. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It doesn't say that the Lord ever steps foot on the earth at this particular point. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. In, uh, in John 14, chapter, or chapter 14, verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, in verse 3, I will come again and receive you unto myself. He doesn't say he's going to receive us into heaven. He says he's going to receive us unto himself. He becomes our mansion. He becomes our abiding place. So shall we ever be the Lord, as it tells us in Thessalonians. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus doesn't tell us, Paul doesn't tell us the intimate details of what's going to happen. He gives us an overview. He gives us this overview so that we're ready and aware that there is going to be this catching away this departure from earth and this entrance into the presence of Jesus Christ. We're going to meet the Lord in the air and there we shall ever be with him. Jesus receives us to himself to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we be ever with him. That where he is, there we will also be. That's the bottom line of the rapture. He doesn't give us much more detail than that. Until we start looking at other scriptures. In my presence is fullness of joy. You know, I, I know I have a goodly heritage. 
from Psalm 16. We pick up bits and pieces all over the scriptures about the wonderful sense of peace and calm and security and comfort to be in the Lord's presence and just sheer joy to be able to see him who we spent our lives believing in. He says in later in, later on, further in verse uh, in chapter 5, verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. You have no need to know any more. Know this, because this will be an anchor for your souls. Just know about the rapture, because there you will find your hope and your comfort. The intimate details of how it's going to happen and who's going to be there doesn't matter. But it's interesting that when it says that the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we shall join them, that's going to be our first look. <clears throat> Entirety and the fullness of the church. Finally, we will see all the believers of the world that ever lived and that we're living around us and with us and with the Lord. <clears throat> That's a big group. That's a big group. You'll see relatives. You'll see friends. You'll see friends of your great, 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 great grandparents. You'll see people that you didn't expect to see. Wow, I wonder how she made it up here. Or I wonder how he got here. And some people may even wonder where their pastor is. Because we're going to be surprised at who's there and we're going to be surprised at who's not there. But that's because it's us. It's because we live sometimes under false expectations. Sometimes we want to believe, but the truth is different. But this, Jesus tells us, because he said, All things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. I call you friends. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I, <coughs> that I write unto you. Yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For the Lord is second coming. We're with the Lord at that time. The day of the Lord is the second coming. And when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, not upon the church, upon them. And who's saying peace and safety? They're going to be the ones that are left behind. If you read the, the Left Behind series, you know who they are. The non-believers that are still on the face of the earth. Sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Have you noticed that the, the violent storms and hurricanes and typhoons, they're coming more frequently and more severely on the earth? Fires more frequently, more severe. Floods everywhere. Just as the, the birth pangs of a travailing woman that come with a child, they cannot escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation 
by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we be awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Whether we're awake or asleep, we'll live together with him. Are we going to be sleeping in heaven? Well, there's apparently going to be rest periods. Then the Holy Spirit must have insights for us that he wants us to know. together. Edify one another even as you do. In Thessalonians chapter 5 it says edify one another, encourage one another, especially as you see that day approaching. What day? Whatever the day of the rapture is. We don't know when it's coming. We just know that it's coming. And if we're children of light and we're awake and alert during the day, then we can identify the signs of the times and the things going on on earth that are the very harbingers, things that we're told to look for. God fulfills his word. So what do we do in the meantime while we're waiting for all of these signs to take place? Especially as we start to see what Paul termed the beginning of sorrows. What Jesus called them. Matthew 24. In verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 5 he says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. There are people in our churches that are leaders. If they see something wrong, they're to speak up. If they see something that's sinful and something that's not edifying to the Lord or to the body, they're to speak up. They're to admonish, not punish just to bring it to your attention. And these are the things that the church is supposed to be doing for itself. I believe it's in Romans chapter 12. It says, I know that you're full of grace, full of all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. And to admonish one another in that way, the word admonish, it has the connotation of using the scriptures for the purpose of admonishment. Hello, nobody's home yet. Anyway, wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even as also you do. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, and here are the things that Paul says that the church is to do while we are waiting for the rapture to take place. When we see the signs coming, when we see them beginning to get worse and worse, when the birth pangs are are such that you can't ignore them anymore, it says, here's the things that we're supposed to be doing, and it goes on for the next several verses. We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. This is all body ministry within the church towards one another. See that none render evil for evil to any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ concerning you. 
Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. These are the things that the Lord is calling on us to do. With each other. For each other. And even, even as he says in verse 21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, there are going to be false Christs, false prophets in the world. And the Lord says to test the spirits. Prove all things. Is that really what the scriptures are saying? That's what the people in Berea did in chapter 16 of Acts. They listened with a readiness of mind, an open mind, but then they went home and they searched the scriptures at night, whether the things that they heard from Paul were actually... Many of them became believers. Believers in what? Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So prove all things. Hold people accountable to what they're teaching you. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Don't stumble other people by the way you live or the things that you do. And it says in the very and the result of this is in the God, the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that called you, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us, Paul says. Thessalonica is one of those cities that ran Paul out of town. And he had to flee to Berea. They didn't like the message that he was giving them. They literally ran him out of town, like so many other towns did with him. They didn't like the message. The gospel holds people accountable. But here we have this beautiful letter. Two beautiful letters, actually that Paul writes to the, to the church in Thessalonica. And it's amazing that the church survived. But it's because of letters like this that the entire country of Greece became Christian. And yes, there are times of vacillating back and forth. There are people who will vacillate back and forth as well. When you get into Greece, the central, the central, and Corinth, there's always that tone, that undercurrent of philosophy and knowledge there. But there's faith there too. Where the wisdom of man is, when men think highly of themselves, there's always this great equalizer of the Lord Jesus Christ to remind us that man's highest thoughts are much, much lower than God's thoughts towards us. Much lower. We don't get a lot of information about the rapture other than the fact that it's an event that's coming. We live our lives with the hope of always living with Jesus. And that life starts here on earth, even as we prepare ourselves and our hearts for the rapture. Next week we'll take a look at the, the second coming. And quite frankly, it's, it's somewhat the same thing other than there's detail to it in the book of Revelation. But the second coming is going to happen just as surely as the rapture is going to happen. Now, we believe that the Bible 
teaches that there's there's seven years from the time of the rapture to the second coming. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. There are other Christian ministries that want to call it something else or believe it's timed differently. But when the scriptures tell us that we are not appointed, the church is not appointed unto wrath, then that means it has to come, the rapture has to come before the wrath comes. If we're not appointed to wrath, which is God's acting out against sin and punishing the world, the unbelieving world, then it has to be before some believe in a tribulation rapture. There are some believe in a post tribulation rapture, which doesn't fit any of the scriptures and becomes purposeless. But there's even a new one coming along that is being written of. It's called a pre-wrath rapture, which is real similar to a mid-trib rapture. But the Lord says we're not appointed to wrath. He's going to keep us from those things. And all we have to do is to look back at Noah. In the early stages of, of his instructions to build the ark, the Lord was preparing him for something to come. And according to the scriptures, he and his three sons worked on the ark for about 100 years to build it, to assemble it, to cut the lumber. And trees, I don't know. But they spent a long time preparing for this flood that they had never seen. Of Genesis, it says it had not yet rained on the earth. But by Genesis 6, God is saying, Prepare for a flood. And that's what they did. And Noah and his seven family members became a type of the church because God had mercy on them, on them. He showed them great favor and grace. And he appointed them to be saved through the flood. And as the Lord shut them into the ark and it began to rain, there was destruction coming over all the earth. Much the same as the great tribulation is going to take place. And as the floodwaters rose, Noah and his family rose up above the destruction. And they were kept safe and dry in this ark that was built and designed at the Lord's instructions. God put it all together. But Noah and his family, they are a type of the church saved and, ro and who rose above the destruction that was taking place underneath them. That's the rapture. We're taken into the presence of Jesus and so shall we ever be with Him. Those that are alive will never go through the physical death. It says though that we will be changed. Not all will die, but all will be changed. And that's our hope. And in Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus Christ, our true ark, our true Savior, He is an anchor for our souls so that the storms of life don't toss us about like an unanchored boat. Because unanchored boats, when they get out in the stormy seas, eventually the waves will take them. an anchor for our souls.
that's safe and on firm be moved. Our faith takes us through those difficult times. But those aren't the great tribulation. That's not the flood of destruction. Those are just the normal storms of life. But they, that same anchor for our soul is going to be the one who calls us up to himself. In John, in Revelation chapter 4, at the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1, John experiences something. He says, After this I looked, behold, a door heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Literally, get up here. And I will show you the things which must come hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. He had been changed. And this is the John being a type of the, the church in the book of Revelation. This is the last time we hear of the church on earth until we get to Revelation 19. At the second coming, when Christ comes back to earth, and the armies of heaven come with him. And who's in heaven? Well, the saints, the raptured church, and all the angels. And we all come back. We all come back with him. We have escaped, we will have escaped the destruction on the earth. The killings, the deaths, the persecution of believers who came to Christ after the rapture. Those are the tribulation saints. But just so that we know, a rapture is coming. God's word says that's the case. And what he says does not come back void. He will fulfill it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, the, the scriptures are simple and clear. You're coming back for your church. You left to build a mansion for us, a place of abiding presence. And Lord, that's within yourself. Lord, we look to you as an anchor of our soul, we look to you for the hope that we need to be able to get through whatever is coming up in our lives or in the life of the world to come. Uh, Lord, the future looks bleak already. And even Christians are asking themselves, how much worse can it get? It can get a lot worse. And that's what the Lord is going to protect us from. And that's why he sends for us and tells us just like to come up here. Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for this information that you want to share with us that you you designed to be learned by us and to share with other people. Lord, you're a great God. You don't hold secrets back. You've told us that You've told us through your son that everything that he heard of, from you, he has shared with us. So, Lord, let us hold fast to these things that which hold, we hold dearly to faith. Lord, be with us as we live out our week. Walk before us. Walk behind us. Walk with us, Lord. Keep us from the evil one. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Even at one point in, in the Acts of the Apostles, Paul says that he was caught up into paradise, that he knew a man at one time, 14 years earlier, one that was caught up into paradise. And that's that same word, harpazo and rapturos from the Latin. Uh, there's nothing new about the concept of being caught up and taken away into safety. So... Bless yourselves this week.
Remember, there's nothing that's going to happen this week in your life that's going to catch God by surprise. It's one of the things that God can't do. Because He knows everything, He can't be surprised. He knows it ahead of time. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for listening to this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the Sunday or Thursday Bible studies or observation archives, check on the dates and times for this week's Bible studies, or to contact Pastor Bob, simply log on to whitestonechristianfellowship.blogspot.com. That's whitestonechristianfellowship.blogspot.com. Or dial 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Pastor Bob teaches the Word of God line by line and verse by verse every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob encourages all of you to immerse yourselves in the Word of God. From here in upstate New York, we are reminded daily that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.